Professor Seema Patel is an Associate Professor of Law and a researcher on discrimination in sport at Nottingham Law School in the UK. Professor Patel, good morning to you. And I know it's an hour earlier where you are, so I really appreciate the time. Thank you. You heard our government, our Deputy Minister of Sport there, saying that world athletics needs to change. Where would those changes start? Well, that's a really uh, broad question, and it's part of a much broader discourse about the relationship between sport and law, and perhaps where human rights responsibilities interact with this, with private sport regulation. Ultimately, we are dealing with private uh, non-state actors, and we've seen in so many cases how difficult it is to um, deal with disputes because of the private sphere that they regulate within. Part of it is uh, due to the way it's sort of international nature and different people from different parts of the world have different understandings of the rules. But in this case, the people who are in charge of world athletics, it was called the IAAF at the time, they had a lot of power and they exercised that power, didn't they? Absolutely they did. And as I said, they're a private sports body who are, just like any uh, private sports body, are often immune from um, the law and legal regulation to some extent. And so this ruling is so important because we, we finally see how the European Court of Human Rights might interact with sports um, decisions or sports rules um, in, in the realm of gender and discrimination. Um. World athletics, uh, you know, uh, to prove your point, says it won't change its rules. So is there no way to force them to do that? I mean, no one can really go to court uh, anywhere at this stage, it would seem. Um, I made the point earlier, as I think you heard, that Castor's Castor's, uh, career has basically been ruined by all of this. And there's no recourse for her at all. Well, I think we need to track back a little bit. it's really important to highlight that the European Court of Human Rights decision found there had been a violation of convention rights in the procedural aspects of the case against the state rather than world athletics rules. And this is new territory, so it's really difficult to predict the next route as we try and navigate that relationship between private sport arbitration and human rights. Um, But this really is a significant moment. And I I think you're absolutely right that Semenya has sacrificed everything here. And the key thing to remember is that there is an athlete behind this story. She was exposed to the world so young, thrust into the spotlight, forced to undergo hormone treatment and sacrificed her career, as you said. And we really should be grateful to her for pursuing this legal battle to defend her rights. And, and it's thanks to her that gender diversity in sport and athletes' rights will hopefully in the future be better regulated. Um, the fact that uh, so many of the of the world's top athletes, uh, many of them come from Africa. I'm sitting in Africa, so of course I would say that. But do you think it would have been different if the people who were in charge of world athletics were themselves uh, from Africa or more diverse? Would that have led to a better decision in this case? What I'm trying to get to is sometimes to work out what a decision is going to be. You can look at the people making the decisions. You can look at what may be their inherent biases. To put it another way, in an organization that is supposed to manage uh, athletics as big a field as that is around the world, if there was a better, more diverse, more representative leadership group of administrators, could they have come to a better decision? 
Well, I can't comment on the composition of World Athletics and their decision-making bodies, but I think it's a very fair point that in sport generally there is an issue with representation, absolutely, and we are seeing that this is a pivotal time for sport law and society in terms of wider anti-discrimination movements and generally diversity and inclusion. So there is a general move towards trying to ensure that there is a better balance both on the pitch and off the pitch when dealing with issues of inclusion and diversity to ensure that everyone is represented. There are other issues that are in other conversations that are happening in our societies around how people are defined. So at the moment, uh, particularly when it comes to sport, people are defined as a woman or a man and people are being defined. And yet we're beginning to have conversations about seeing the world in uh, less binary terms. In other words, you no longer demand that someone is one thing or another and those are the only two options. That's going to have huge implications for sport, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. So beyond sport, there have been wider advances and shifts in gender perspectives in society. And there's been tougher calls for gender legal status reforms that accurately reflect this changing nature of sex and gender. And to ensure that legislation has more rights for those gender diverse people and are more inclusive in their definitions. And so we're at, again, a very critical time and the changing tides of legal gender status, they may well impact upon the approach taken to gender eligibility in sport in the future. And again, the Semenya case really acts as an impetus for these future reforms. Professor Seema Patel, thank you. An Associate Professor of Law and a researcher on discrimination in sport at Nottingham Law School. And I really appreciate you getting up so early there. All right, more to come, of course, on the Castor Semenya issue. Your views, 86 0032032.